the digital transition. Digital Transition, brought to you by Fulton Trotter Digital, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition, podcast number two. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm chatting with Andrew Kerthois, Director of Engagement and Task Force, Economic and Infrastructure Strategy, from the Department of State Development Manufacturing, Infrastructure and Planning in the Queensland Government. Today, we will be discussing the recently released Digital Enablement for Queensland Infrastructure, Principles for BIM Implementation Policy. So Andrew, thanks very much for your time today. It's very good to finally be able to sit down with you and uh, obviously um, have the opportunity to launch this podcast with you. Um, I guess we're going to have a fun time today going through and interviewing you and talking about the, the policy that the Queensland Government launched in, in November last year. But um, as part of the series of questions, I guess I'm a bit of a Simon Sinek fan. I guess I have to ask you why. And I know it's going to be kind of hard for you from a personal perspective in terms of the whole government. But I guess, you know, do you have a kind of an idea as to why the Queensland Government believe that a BIM policy is important? Nathan, uh, thanks. Look, it's great to be here and uh, I wish you well in this um, podcast series. The why question is always really important for government. You know, why does government do any policy work? Why does government um, set uh, advice for industry but also provide um, consistency? So for me, uh, why does the government believe it's important? I think it recognises that we are all on a digital journey and the work that has been occurring overseas, particularly in the UK, has identified that there are benefits for the digital twin or digital delivery of um, assets. So through the research that we did and through the work that the government had done as part of the development of the state infrastructure plan back in 2016, building information modelling was identified as an emerging opportunity uh, that the government needed to review that the government needed to um, potentially settle a policy on and that uh, if there was uh, support from industry um, and across government, that it could then start to lay down some principles and establish um, a roadmap or an approach that it wanted to take to improve asset uh, delivery and also to improve um, opportunities for the construction sector, the design sector and the operations sector for an asset. So why does the Queensland government believe um, a BIM policy is important? I think it's part of that suite of policies which uh, the government believes will take Queensland into the next decade and beyond. Right? We know that, that assets last, that the, the government delivers you know, assets last between 30, 50, 100 years. In the case of transport and main roads, they're designing bridges which are 300 years. Yeah. That's their life cycle. So over the course of um, the life of an asset, we need to make sure that we capture as much information as we can to improve uh, A, um, how it gets delivered, B, how it gets managed, and C, how it's maintained into the future. So what we've got to do is look at what policies uh, exist around the world that can assist government to better manage their assets and BIM now, building information modelling, as you know, has been around for a while. It was one of the thing, one of the key elements that uh, the government looked at as part of the state infrastructure plan, um, and explored. And I'm delighted to say, um, endorsed a set of principles back in November 2018 um, to set um, a future for Queensland. Yeah, and it's good to see Queensland leading the way in Australia once again. Now, I guess. For, for many people in industry, it's, it's seen as been a very long journey um, since the draft policy was released back in February 2017. Um, obviously, there was a change of government, or not a change, literally, it was, a, it was just essentially an election in the middle of it. Um, and uh, I guess at that point in time when the draft policy was released back in February 2017, you had um, obviously uh, public review and public commentary that was, that was put forward. Um, and I know we've had conversations in the past about 
how that how how the feedback came or the feedback that come back through um, through the through industry. I'd be interested to know from your perspective as much as you're allowed to share because obviously things are confidential in some parts. But it'd be nice to understand what feed what feedback you got from industry with regards to that draft policy and, and what what support you had for it. Yeah, thanks, Jason. No, it was look the policy was released back in uh, 2017, as you rightly pointed out. Um, and good policy uh, sometimes takes time to deliver. Um, as frustrating as that can be for industry, there's a lot of things that have to be worked through uh, to deliver good policy. Um, and the time frame people might be a little bit frustrated with, but the reality is that th working through the government processes and working with industry, we were able to get um, a good outcome, which will uh, set in train some good opportunities for industry and government. But going back to the consultation, we had uh, around 65 written submissions, um, which were was amazing really because they're all positive. We had two submissions which um, you wouldn't put in the positive category. One of those is get on with it quicker, you know, why aren't you doing it now instead of waiting to get a policy in place? Um, and the second one was, um, you know, uh, do you really want to have digital because you know, if, where is where is that going to lead us into the future? Yeah. Now, the majority of them, the 63, uh, were all positive looking at the way that um, they we could improve the policy from the consultation phase. There's over 2,000 downloads of the um, draft principles that were put out um, off our website, which we were quite, you know, quite pleased with. We had an industry workshop um, with 39 participants which really gave us some good feedback, you know, challenging us about where we wanted to take the policy and what industry wanted to see from um, the principles. There was big active engagement by Brisbane and we had 150 professionals attend that. So that was, that was a really good um, indication to us that we're on the, uh, the right track. We also had a BIM uh, mini expo and 60 people attended in 12 government departments. So again, there was lots of interest in it, okay? But really the, the key theme that or key themes I guess Nathan that came out of it was that you know we want to, we want to make sure that we have ongoing and open communication with all the stakeholders okay yeah which one is the, better better information management so yeah. you're communicating more effectively that's right that's right the other thing was that um, industry was keen to see a single central group in government being responsible for its implementation um, and that didn't necessarily mean um, you know a blueprint you know, launched from on high, this is, they'll shout do. That was talking about getting a framework in place that um, government agencies could work with. So uh, we're certainly per pursuing that. There was also very strong port, uh, support for an open BIM framework. Yeah. And I described it at the time as um, I didn't want to be the bureaucrat recommending an approach uh, to government, which could become the beta tape version of videos. Right, great product, great outcome. You know, the 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 the, the consuming public just didn't like beta. They wanted VHS. Yeah, okay. it, it becomes a scenario where if you pick a format that that it may have a lifespan, and unfortunately, the lifespan of say a beta or even VHS. You know, most people that are starting an industry today probably wouldn't even know what a VHS yeah. tape is. Yeah. And when you're talking about your asset life of, uh, you know, thirty, hundred, or even three hundred years for your for your bridges and infrastructure. Those, those, that file format's no longer really going to exist, is it? That's right. That's right. So there was a big um, support for making, uh, having an open BIM um, approach, which, which has flowed into the principles, and we'll discuss that a little bit later. Yeah. There's also support for a consistent national approach, right? And, and in Queensland, uh, we want to be part of the, that ongoing national conversation. And in fact, we are. We're contributing to that ongoing national conversation. And we want to support a national approach because we can see the benefits, not only for people who work in Queensland, then, you know, bidding for work in other states, yeah. but also for people who are working in other states who want to work in Queensland, it means there's no bar barriers to entry. And no skill transfer or the fact that essentially in Queensland, if, if we're more economical in delivering projects as businesses, we can then export our services to other states. And that's kind of, I guess, a similar line Yep. that the UK government had with trying to, you know, export, you know, 30 or 50% extra yeah. offshore based upon the efficiencies. That's right. So that's why it's important to support a national framework or national approach. Yeah. The other thing, of course, was there was very strong support 
uh, for BIM in the asset management phase. Mm. And this came through time and time again through the consultation process. This is critical. We know that the benefits that will exist, are not, there'll be benefits that will be um, identified in the, firstly, in the design phase, then in the construction phase, but the benefits will accrue in the operations phase or that asset management phase. And that's where we want to make sure that we have good support because as we both know, the design and delivery of a project is much shorter than the ongoing operation of the project, but the benefits accrue over each phase. But the big benefits accrue over the operational phase and that's where we want them to go. We also recognised um, that we need to have ongoing collaboration between industry, government and the education sector because we need to improve the capacity and capability of the government project managers and government employees who are going to be working with this. Okay. Yeah. We also want to make sure, though, that industry can invest with confidence, right? Because what are we trying to do? We're trying to create an environment which enables industry to invest with confidence in the work that the government provides. Yeah. The most frustrating thing, as I understand it, for industry is that if a government policy changes or, you know, moves or shifts, and they've invested in a particular way, then it becomes um, an unrealisable uh, return. Yeah. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to disadvantage inadvertently um, industry for investment decisions it makes. So we want to ensure that we've got that. Um, there was also um, some concern or some uh, submissions that suggested the time frame was a bit long um, by having uh, BIM across all state infrastructure assets by 2023, yeah. you know, couldn't we do it quicker? Um, you know, sure, we'd all like to do things quicker, but I've ex through my experience in working through policy development, uh, if you do things too quickly, you end up with suboptimal outcomes, yeah. right? Now, BIM and asset management uh, needs to be considered in that much longer term approach that um, governments need, that industry needs um, and that the asset uh, reflects. So one of those things we need to ensure is that we do take time, right, to, to get the implementation process right, that we do take time to invest properly um, and that 2023 is a point, will be a point in the BIM process, right? It's not the, that's not the beginning or the end, yeah. it's a point. It gave us time to set it, to look at a transition strategy or a strategy to move to 2023 and then we need to move beyond that. But it, what it does, um, it just gives us time to build capacity internally within government, to work with industry to get the best outcomes and to also work with the education sector to look at what the opportunities are to support industry capacity development um, and government capability development. Yeah. There's also questions around a clear definition that um, the government needed for BIM. Um, and we need to communicate that with industry. Now, you know, look, there are, there are lots of definitions around BIM, but one of the things that we settled on is we didn't want to have a Queensland definition for BIM because it becomes like the railroad network. Yeah, we don't want know, that again in the, the 1890s, you know. So what we've said is let's look to um, an international position um, and let's look at what the ISO, the National Standards Office, is doing. Uh, sorry, International Standards Organisation. And they've produced ISO 19650, right? Yep. And we've aligned to that. So that way, that gives us confidence, again, for industry. If they're aligning to ISO 19650 in Queensland and they want to do work in New South Wales or Victoria or South Australia or WA or Tasmania or Northern Territory or the ACT, they can, with confidence, invest in an ISO 19650 process. Yeah, yeah. Then if they also want to work overseas and they need accreditation, they can say, we're already down the track of accrediting to ISO 19650. Yeah. Right? So it, it's there to provide industry with a certainty. Uh, it's there to provide industry with confidence. It's there to remove um, the concern that we need a special approach in Queensland because we're part of a national and international market and we need to provide certainty uh, for business. Um, and so the government's settled on ISO 19650 and uh, NATSPEC, which I think is a, a really good choice. Um, and we'll be pursuing that uh, with figure as we roll out um, the policy. Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, interesting. It's exciting to see, obviously, you know, you've touched on open BIM, which is something that most people that know me know I'm highly passionate about. 
Um, ISO 19650, well, international standards, you can't get any better than that in terms of trying to find a, a benchmark to work to for, from, for delivering for government. And then NATSPEC, and, and one of the things that, you know, NATSPEC have done over the last 10 years, have obviously started to develop and, and produce uh, BIM delivery documentation. And then they've obviously, there's been some work that's come out of ABAB recently that I was part of as well. But um, I guess the, the, the key thing, I guess, is, is that from my perspective is actually now that we see um, such a strong position in, in a piece of policy about supporting NATSPEC and I've been very kind of commenting to this <laughs> to NATSPEC members that essentially they need to get in now and support NATSPEC to essentially build on the, that suite that they've currently got and improve it and uh, and hopefully uh, in, 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 the, in the coming months I'll actually have a chance to talk to Richard Choi about what they've done to date and the suite of tools that they're constantly developing and what they've got planned for the future, knowing that Queensland's now taken this step. We've seen Transport for New South Wales make some steps and, and then we've got VDAS out of, out of Victoria. So we're hoping to obviously then see start to see a bit of a domino effect across the country in terms of starting to align yeah. and then end up with hopefully a suite of documents that are, are nice and, and neat and flat rather yes. than, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate the work and efforts that Dean done in the UK and, and but the amount of paperwork and the amount of standards and stuff they've developed is is excessive. And I guess when we when people in industry have, are used to seeing the 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 size and the and the and the quantity of paperwork that's come out of the UK, um, many people I guess provided some early criticism uh, to the to to the policy and going, well, it's it's a bit short, isn't it? You know and and, and, and through our conversations previously, we've talked about, you know, what the purpose of this document actually is. And uh, I've sat down and, and, and when I presented previously on this draft policy, um, I pulled out a diagram that was produced from Rob Jackson from Bombay Digital and, uh, and obviously trying to demonstrate to the audiences of those presentations where this policy actually sits. Yep. And uh, the importance of people understanding that that this policy is the length it is for a particular reason, yes, and that it's it's sitting at essentially at the top of the tree of of stipulating the owner's requirements being the government, yep. and the government has multiple agencies. So I guess there's I guess a two prong question I guess in the sense of first of all, who do you think this? Well, not who do you think, but more so. Who is this policy written for? Because once again, that's also a contentious issue from people from industry. They're kind of going, well, how's this? Why is this word this way? And then why is it the length it is? Look, the policy's written um, and it has a has a multifaceted approach. But in, in essence, it's it's written for two audiences. The first is for industry, so it provides a level of certainty to industry about what the government is seeking to achieve through the the um, four approaches. Okay, so what we're trying to do um, with those principles, you know, the open, managed, effective and supported, is make sure that we get those right. And I know we're going to come to those a little bit later. But what we want to do is we want to make sure that we provide an environment that industry has confidence to invest. And so they will use this into the future. So that when they get involved with government projects, whether they are linear, whether they are vertical, or whether they are a mix, there'll be principles that they will follow and that the government agencies will follow, which are articulated in this policy, okay? And that will then provide a level of certainty to industry. So instead of trying to guess, you know, what they're gonna pick or why they're gonna pick this or have an argument about why we did X, Y, and Z, so long as the projects which come out meet those four principles, the high level principles, that will then provide confidence to industry that they're on the right track, right? And then they'll be able to work with those relevant agencies to deliver the outcomes. So that's why we've got the, the principles, that's why we've got the approach. The second reason is, as I said, it was a two-pronged approach, is to provide confidence back to government departments about what they need to flesh out to provide confidence to industry. Right? Because we work hand in glove with industry, yeah. right? We need to make sure that we understand as best we can what some of the challenges are for industry, but also we need to provide certainty to um, governments, government departments, about what they need to be focusing on, 
okay, all the time. Because if there's ambiguity, then that's where the lawyers then get involved, right? And that's where concerns are raised, and that's where there's more requests for information, or there's um, dispute comes in, or it adds cost, because uncertainty and risk add cost. So what we're trying to do with this approach is to reduce the uncertainty. Yeah. Is it perfect? Now, look, we've got a long way to go to make it perfect. I haven't met a policy yet, which is perfect. But what we're trying to do is reduce the risk to industry, reduce the risk to government agencies, therefore reduce the risk um, to the infrastructure deliverers and managers. So we start reducing the risk at all those steps. That will then free up capital over time because agencies won't need to have as much contingency to manage those risks as they had previously. If we can start freeing up some of that capital, right, that means that in theory, we should be able to do deliver more projects for the same capital budget. Yeah. That will take time. It's not gonna happen quickly, but that will take time. But that's the approach we'll be able to use. And with a, a single point of truth um, through this approach, we will be able to provide confidence to uh, industry, we'll be able to provide confidence to government agencies. We will re reduce those requests for information that comes back through all projects. We'll provide also more confidence up front, um, which will then help all aspects um, of the design, construction and delivery process. And that's what we want to do. We want to provide certainty uh, for everybody. So that's that's the, the reason um, that the policy has been written that way. And that's the reason that we're um, we have that multifaceted approach. I guess from my perspective, when I look at it, I love, like, you know, I think from when I when I look at it from my perspective, um, if that policy was any more detailed, you know, you've talked about providing certainty and it, and it, and it does in the sense of that overall overarching policy perspective, but had, the, had this document been twice the length and twice as detailed, you know, you'd be hamstringing or, or tying certain agencies to certain things that they wouldn't be able to do. And I and I look at, you know, the broadness of the portfolios and agencies that the Queensland State Government have, you know, you can't have the same requirements for a prison yep. and a and a highway. Yes. So by having that overarching policy, it, it gives it in, in many ways it, you talked about uh, certainty, but I think it also provides that level of flexibility. Um, that each of your agencies are going to need to get the optimum correct. information for their assets that they have. Yeah, correct. And that, that, look, that's exactly right. So there will be um, departmental um, opportunities to refine um, and focus where they need to focus their elements, okay? Um, and that is going to be really key uh, to the outcome and the success of, of the policy and the principles overall. If we applied a one-size-fits-all to agencies, I'd have 18 agencies coming to me and saying, what are you doing? Yeah. I'd have industry screaming at me saying, how did you let this happen, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because we know that there are no two assets which are the same. We know that there are different uh, approaches to asset delivery if they're in a vertical sense compared to a horizontal sense. So what we've got to make sure is that we provide certainty within that framework and agencies will need to go through and identify the elements they need. It will take time as we skill up, right? We've got to work with industry to review how we're going regularly to get good outcomes. Um, and yes, there's, there are, is some broadness there, I accept, I accept that, but that then provides uh, opportunities for agencies to flourish yeah. and develop their own approach and work with their key stakeholders right, to develop their own approach. And that will be different agency on agency. Yeah. So education will have a different group of stakeholders compared to transport and main roads. And health has a different group of stakeholders compared to corrections. So we want to provide some certainty for those agencies that they need to respond to, but also make sure that they work with their stakeholders to get the good outcomes in the long term, because at the end of the day, it's taxpayer dollars that we are trying to effectively manage uh, to deliver good outcomes uh, and ensure that, that we get good value for money. And that's why uh, it's important that um, governments you know, implement good policy so that we can deliver good outcomes uh, for the government and the taxpayers. Which is the ultimate, ultimate outcome, isn't it, in terms of trying to get better outcomes. So um, I guess now we should probably delve deep into, this, into the actual policy itself. Um, 
because I think that, you know, there may be people that are listening right now that either A, haven't heard of BIM before and yep. hopefully learned about it when they listened to my first podcast and the introduction. But at the same time, I guess you have a series of objectives, you know, and, and, and throughout our, our, our chat today, we have briefly kind of you've briefly touched on them. But I guess, you know, where do you, in terms of the objectives in your policy, I guess, what, or not your policy, government's, the government's policy. policy. Yeah, right. well, you know, that's a, that's a good mistake to make, isn't it, in terms of calling it your policy. But um, in terms of the government's policy, you know, I guess, what are, what are the objectives that you think that BIM or this policy has, you know, partnered with BIM um, could potentially do for your projects in yeah. terms of the assets for this for the state? Well, that, a good question, uh, Nathan. I guess well, I'll just go back and talk about the scope of the principles and how, you know, how they are going to apply. Um, so the scope of the principles is really clear. I mean, these principles apply to all government departments, agencies and statutory authorities. Okay. Now, that captures a big slice of the government asset database. Uh, you know, and we've got to make sure that we've got uh, good information around, around that. Um, It'll be applied also through the design, delivery and ongoing operation of assets. For all major new construction projects, including those with an estimated capital cost above 50 million, which commence a detailed business case through the Building Queensland Business Case Development Framework from 1 July this year. Now, you might say, why are we waiting so long to get things started? Because government departments need time to refine what they're doing. They need time to take this, uh, this policy into account. They also need time to sit down with industry and say, these are some of the, the changes that are going to be required that we need to include in the business cases that we will put to um, Building Queensland. So, you know, we've set, the government has set that threshold of 50 million and above, but it's also said to agencies, where you have projects below 50 million, and you're wanting to use BIM, yes, you can. So there's not, it's not a, a, you know, it's only got to be above 50 million, um, but you need to make sure that, that the project budgets accommodate BIM. Yeah, in case, okay. there is, in case there is a potential for it to cost more at the start because yeah. of so upskilling and stuff like that. That's right. There'll be yeah. some capacity development. There'll be some capability development. Um, there'll be um, some, some understanding from agencies about what uh, they need to do, and that takes uh, resources. So we thought the best way to look at that initially is to build that into projects, so projects can start looking at that. Um, so once we have those business cases starting to roll through, and you know, some of those business cases um, will take a little bit of time for Building Queensland to assess. It's not, not gonna be um, any slower or any quicker using BIM, it'll just follow the, the the, the consistent process that Building Queensland uses. There'll be extra information and some extra um, requirements um, that Building Queensland will have in place, which will need to be teased out and just checked um, and supported. So once it's gone through the, the that building case development framework and, and assessed by BQ, then it moves into a funding phase. And once funding um, you know, is agreed, uh, whether there might be multiple funding sources, whether it's a Commonwealth state arrangement or whether it's just a state funding arrangement. Uh, once the funding is approved, then we'll start to see projects come out of the ground. And that might be 21, 22 or 22, 23. So there'll be some time before um, projects will start coming out of the ground that have been delivered under this policy. So what does that mean for industry? That means that there's a lot of work that will go on uh, ahead of time. There will be a lot of work that will go on refining and reviewing. And of course, we all know that over the next couple of years, there will be, again, new changes in technology. There will be new changes in understanding. There'll be increased capacity um, around computing power. So things that we're starting to see now will suddenly become commonplace within a couple of years, yeah. right? And, and, and so we, we, are, we don't want to restrict agencies or constrict agencies. We want to make sure that um, departments and agencies uh, feel that they have the capacity and the capability to develop and deliver good projects um, within the guidelines that, or within the, the principles, I should say, um, that the government has set up. I guess that leads us probably to the next part of it around, um, you know, the, the, the policy has a number of objectives. 
Um, and these, you know, as you know, for people who are working in the BIM environment, they'll be pretty familiar with those. What I'd like to do is probably just um, share with you why we've got objectives for the policy and then we'll run through all the policy approaches if that you like. That sounds really good. Yeah. So what we didn't want to do is we didn't want to create, um, you know, 10, 15 different sets of principles um, in the policy because when we did the research and looked at what was needed, we were able to settle on four quite easily, right? And that was to ensure that um, across government, agencies will be able to then work and get good outcomes. And the four we've settled on, um, which you you know, um, it, it's quite easily um, and, and probably quite understandable by industry. You know, it, the importance of being open, and we'll talk about that in a little minute. The importance of management, and we'll talk about that. Effective um, and supported, you know. Um, and if you, it, it, but you need a digital strategy. Um, to ensure that all those get understood um, and get delivered um, and, and that agencies recognise the value of those longer term. And so that's, that's what we're working on, um, is making sure that we can, um, you know, provide confidence to agencies and to, and to industry around um, a digital strategy and having those objectives. So Andrew, I guess you've covered the, the principles at the high level there. And I guess from my perspective, um, some of our, and, and I guess for people that are experienced in BIM, they'll, they'll kind of be able to read this, read this uh, policy or, or principles and be able to kind of gather it or fathom it straight away. Um, but I guess for those that, um, that are less familiar, I guess you know the, the, some of the listeners may be you know less familiar with these processes. I guess from my perspective, we're good to go through these in a little bit more detail. Um, now, uh, I guess out of the four principles, you've touched on them briefly just before, but um, I guess the first one in in the in, in the in the document is about being open. And uh, from from my perspective, and as you've touched on before about beta tapes and stuff like that, um, from my perspective, I think this is actually one of the key pin, the key principles. And uh, in, in all honesty, we need to con congratulate the government for incorporating this as part of the policy. Um, now, uh, later in this podcast series, I will be um, discussing the benefits of open BIM processes for uh, for the listeners with, with talking to other open BIM experts. But I guess, um, you know, what's the importance from, from government's perspective of having open BIM um, as part of this part of this set of principles? Um, and I guess the focus not just being on the design phase, which is a lot of the focus of industry today, but in terms of an asset owner's perspective, which is the Queensland government. Yeah, Nathan, no, this, this first principle being open was, was key. Um, and the reason for that is that um, the Queensland government it has existed since 1859, as you know, um, and we'll probably be here in another 150 years in some form, okay? When it first started, of course, uh, it was quite clear there was, um, in an original form, the Department of Public Works, uh, which it was set up to make sure that the assets which the government built were properly looked after and properly managed because they recognised the value of those assets um, as a lasting legacy for government service delivery. So Parliament House is a good example where... It was built um, out of sandstone, it was well designed, it's been well maintained, it's been looked after, because people see that as a key uh, cornerstone, if you like, of our democracy. Sure, it's a building at one level, but it also, if we just let it um, deteriorate and run down um, and not be well managed, rightly, the community would have been up in arms about um, our lack of responsibility, our being the public services lack of responsibility to that asset. So that's why we used, we wanted to go for open BIM because we know that there will be st data standards um, which probably don't even exist now, which our future, which our current asset base and which our assets being created through a BIM process will need to respond to, okay? So what we recognised was that there was value in having two sets of assets. The physical asset that we can all look at and feel and touch and the digital asset. 
Now, once you've got, um, understand the value that both can offer, that way you can improve your understanding of um, BIM. And so that's why I went for an open BIM approach because we want to make sure that we have interoperability, you know, as new um, technology comes out, as new software comes out, that can talk to existing assets that are delivered or built today, yeah. okay? So software, you're probably not old enough to remember this, but back <laughs> in the good old days when I first started uh, work, we had five and a quarter floppy inch disks, and I thought they were fantastic. Right. Oh, five and three quarter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we moved to smaller discs, which were three and a half inch, and we thought that was amazing. And what we, what I did is I used to store religiously information on those discs and put it into the reader and pull it out and check it and pull it out and check it. And then, uh, as part of uh, a software upgrade, one time I forgot to upgrade um, the files on the disk and I knew that I had a certain number of files on this disk and then I put it into the computer, into the reader um, about a year later and I came up with a little sign on the screen, file not recognised. So and it was like, yes, I know, but, but I know where this information is. I know it's on this disk, yeah. you know, but what I'd failed to do was I'd failed to keep the information alive. So through the open BIM approach, what we want to do is we want to make sure that we keep the information alive. So we need to keep all that information that's created for the asset alive and ongoing. We need to make sure that it's, there's interoperability and interconnectivity. Yeah. We do also need to make sure that um, there's relevant opportunities for things like GIS, geographic information systems, and asset management systems to be able to talk with and talk to the, the digital asset that gets created. Now, if we can do that, we will get much better efficiency right, out of the assets. Because once, once we can start manipulating data and testing it, and who knows in time, you know, we, we, we might even be able to scenario test it around climate change, we might be able to do scenario testing around flooding events. We might be able to do scenario testing around anything we can think of. Around security threats and stuff. Yeah, like, that's yeah. right. So why wouldn't why wouldn't we do that on a in a digital asset first, rather than in a physical asset? So we road test it in the digital asset, and we can do it much quicker than if we had to do it in the physical asset. We can then have a higher level of confidence about how the physical asset will perform if it's placed in that a similar situation. Yeah. So that's why uh, we've gone for open. I guess um, the second principle is um, managed. And what we've done there is we've looked at, um, wanted to make sure that the information can be managed securely for at least the life of the infrastructure asset from conception to demolition or disposal, okay? So we value the information that gets created in um, the BIM process right through its life cycle, okay? And that can be a central repository within um, relevant government departments, or it might be um, having an agency such as Queensland State Archives um, look at that in the context of a, uh, a state record. So there's a range of different ways um, that we can manage the information, but it comes back to that same principle around open. If we've got a, a managed process, we'll have a better understanding of the asset, we able to securely manage that information into the future, which will then provide confidence to government and also to industry that if they are looking at a project in three, five, 10 years, they know it's been maintained well, they know it's been managed well, that they know that the information they're looking at is current and up to date. And that will provide a high level of confidence when industry is asked to quote against something and also when the asset owner is asked to um, retrieve the information around the asset. So again, we will try and then reduce uncertainty. We can reduce uncertainty, reduces risk. We can reduce risk, frees up capital. We free up capital. Hopefully we can get more delivered with the same funding envelope. So that's, that's important. It's, it's interesting uh, hearing you talk about those two, those two, those two principles in detail. And, and um, when you look at it, that's, those two dovetail so well together. And then the next two do as well. And uh, 
and just thinking about it and imagining uh, the, the 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 pain you experienced with your single uh, three and a half inch floppy disk um, at one point four megabytes of storage and and thinking about now imagining if uh, an open solution wasn't selected um, for your built assets that um, imagining um, the state government owning you know hundreds of billions of dollars worth of assets and uh, opening a file two years later and not being able to access the information it would be quite scary. That's right and, and um, it would be remiss of us as um, policy makers to lock ourselves into an outcome which did not provide certainty uh, for the future, which did not provide a framework to get the best out of um, that digital information. So uh, I've certainly got an eye on that. We've got, I've learned through my career that you've got to keep the digital information alive, right? And so if you can keep the digital information alive, just to make sure I've got the right file type accessing, you know, the right, um, files on a, on a hard drive or a floppy disk or even coming out of the cloud now, yeah. right? If I can do that as a person, why can't we apply the same approach um, for digital asset management um, that the government will own into the future? So I guess we're moving on to the, the, the final two principles and I think, you know, you see these two kind of almost hand in hand uh, as well. And um, the effective principle, I guess, apart from being open, um, it's, I actually see it as probably one of the most important one for suppliers outside of government to be aware of. Yep. Um, it's challenging in Australia for industry to invest in processes and it has been to date and it's purely because um, there are no, have, have been no standards in Australia. So, you know, people have been adopting um, processes from the UK because they're trying to find out answers and, yep. and, and essentially taking information from even the US from BIM Forum and stuff like that with regards to LODs, which we'll talk about another day. But um, it's really good to see, you know, we kind of touched on this already in some way, but I guess the effective side of this is about, I guess, your, the naming of, I guess, what you've touched on before about the type of work that is going to need to occur, not only within your agencies, but I guess, you know, how important do you think it's going to be for industry um, in supporting the likes of NatSpec? Sure. Look, I think that um, we all have a role to play. When I say we, uh, industry and uh, the public sector has a role to play in helping the um, definition around standards. Um, we've got to make sure that we have workable standards in place. We've got to make sure that uh, the, we don't inadvertently disadvantage a particular group by adopting a standard, which um, means it's out of reach for um, a particular set of contractors or designers or deliverers. Um, that's not our approach. What we're wanting to ensure is that, you know, as I've mentioned all the way through this, we provide certainty to industry to invest. One of the things that uh, we have noticed is that some of the bigger um, contractors, the bigger tier one contractors, um, have invested in BIM early and that's good and they've enjoyed the benefits. What we're wanting to see is we're wanting to see the benefits accrue back to um, the clients, back to the taxpayer, so that we can get good outcomes and good solutions longer term. And so one of the things that I'm involved with is um, the Australasian BIM Advisory Board. And that is also looking at having clear uh, positions uh, that it is um, promoting to industry. And the Australasian Procurement and Construction Council is also wanting to provide confidence to industry. So our principles talk to that. Um, and what we need to do is also get drive um, continuous improvement, continuous change through government agencies, through their BIM capacity and capability. So we will be uh, working with agencies um, to get them to publish their agency endorsed information requirements over time, yeah. which will then uh, ensure that the, the effective principle is reinforced. We will also work with um, uh, agencies to ensure that they um, you know, regularly engage with their key stakeholders to find out what is working and what isn't. Because unless we get good feedback uh, from industry and unless we get balanced feedback, you know, sure, everyone's always uh, got some problems, um, but it, unless we work together, we won't get the be best outcome. That's why 
the effective principle uh, is so important that we make sure we work collaboratively with all Australian jurisdictions where we can and the private sector um, to get the best outcomes for the delivery of um, of the Queensland government infrastructure. Yeah, that's it's 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 so true. And I guess when we talk about the last principle, and I don't know how much detail we'll go into on this one because I think it's very difficult to comment on at this point in time because being supported, yeah. um, we're talking about change management, we're talking about people. Yeah. Um, it might be a bit early to comment on how the government intends to deal with that, but I think that um, from our perspective, I think um, there's going to be a lot of steps forward in terms of how people handle this change management. Um, and it's, as, as you touched on right when we started the conversation, it's going to be industry. Yep. Education, so yep. you know the education sector actually gearing up to enable people to do this, and then finally, obviously, within government having the capabilities internally to essentially accept or understand the procurement and exception and, and, and delivery yep. of this digital information instead of just being, oh yes, I've, I've received I've received my physical asset. Here's my maintenance manuals. Tick the boxes. I've achieved it. It's now going to be: Do I know that I've achieved or delivered or accepted this information that's new, new and unique? I guess. Yeah. And look, that's that's right, Nathan. I mean, one of the big things uh, will be change manage, management. It will be cultural change. Um, there will be um, uh, people uh, or public servants who will see this as another passing fad, right? Um, and that's and that's life, yeah. right? There are there are people who won't won't accept that um, BIM solutions are a long-term solution. But the reality is that the more and more uh, that we see um, in a world context, in a national context, in a local context, um, there is more and more digital information being provided and companies are expecting to get digital solutions and governments are expecting to get digital solutions and the taxpayers are expecting to get digital outcomes because they're seeing it in every part of the way they transact uh, their business. So yes, change management is important. We need to take people on the journey. We need to ensure that we're getting good outcomes. We also need to ensure that uh, there's a level of confidence about what we're doing um, uh, and that we, we work with agencies to take everybody along. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's got to happen very, very quickly. It, it's better if it takes time to get embedded, processes get reviewed, processes get improved, um, and processes get transformed. Yeah. If we can do that, we'll have much better outcomes than if we try and um, Force use... It. Yeah, that's yeah. right. A sledgehammer and a crack of walnut. Yeah, it becomes like an ISO 9001 continual improvement, Correct. working your way through and, and improving your business. And, and um, I guess... Looking at it in terms of, I guess, your final piece of the puzzle being implementation and yep. alignment. Yep. Um, and, you know, one of the comments you made earlier kind of surprised me. And I thought I thought it was kind of interesting that where, you know, industry kind of like, oh, why aren't you rolling this out straight away? And, and when the policy came out um, in terms of a change between the draft policy and the actual real policy that was released in November last year is, you know, originally it was talking about uh, infrastructure in 2023 and maybe built assets from 2020. Now, the adjustment, you know, when, because it took a, quite a reasonable amount of time for this policy to be released, I had assumed, rightly or wrongly, that uh, that the the commencement date would actually push back. So from, from my perspective and my seat from an industry side of things, suggesting that some projects from July 1 this year um, will have that process commence is actually quite exciting, yep. and and uh, I'm almost surprised to think that that uh, industry some in, some industry bodies will be ready for it. Some probably won't, and I'm assuming that um, you know it's going to be a progressive thing as you talk about. So it's going to be you know some projects may slot into that 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 um, July one, and then progressively learn. Yeah, look, I think I think um, the real key here is that for agencies developing business plans for um, new assets, which need to go through um, a business case development framework that um, Building Queensland is, is administers and manages. Um, we couldn't um, force agencies to do that if they hadn't already got the planning underway. Yeah, yes. Right, um, and it's not fair to industry as well, to particularly for some aspects of industry, which might not be as geared up as the architects or the engineers. 
um, it, you know, you, to impose um, something which appears to be too quick can have um, unintended consequences. Yeah. So what we wanted to do is provide um, a good lead time, which we've um, achieved. So, um, and, and there's been good promotion of these um, principles. So there'll be good, there should be a good take up. Having said that, I recognise that um, I will probably be talking about BIM uh, in the future and I will have a question undoubtedly, what is it? What are the benefits? Where did you, where did you who thought up this idea? And uh, my life experience tells me that that will happen, right? Because there'll be people um, who just haven't been exposed or haven't had the opportunity or haven't um, seen what um, digital uh, can deliver in the long term. Now, um, and that's just a fact of life. We, you know, we shouldn't be surprised. Regularly we are, but that's one of those things. So we just need to work through with industry um, and with government uh, departments, looking at what the opportunities are and what the benefits will be and what the longer term benefits will be, as well as what the framework that needs to exist behind those projects. So what do agencies need to be adjusting? What do agencies need to be improving? What do agencies need to be creating in terms of policy support internally to deliver on the outcomes. Yeah. So that'll be one of those things that we'll um, we'll need to need to work up, um, and that takes time. Yeah. That takes time, um, but a long slow burn is much better than a short sharp burn. No, well that's where I think um, there's some advantages in the 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 approach in the sense of you know having the initial target of 2023 and the infrastructure policy that was out, released in 2016. Um, and then going, well, you know, this year's the start date. We're going to learn and learn and learn and learn so that so we can achieve the, the goals of that original document that was produced back then. Um, we'll have so many more lessons learned progressively along the way, which will make a huge difference. Yep. So I guess now we're on the, the final page, I guess, of the policy and, and, and the, you know, we've touched on a number of the points that are already sitting within the implementation alignment of these principles. But... Um, you know, the key thing is, is a, there's a lot of promise and, and a lot of uh, hope, I guess, or or desire to move this forward. And, uh, you know, we've talked about continual improvement and 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 making this thing better, uh, you know, or learning from, learning from the journey of going through project by project. You know, what's the, 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 the current views of the policy with regards to reporting? And uh, I guess, you know, and, and, and reviewing you know, is there is there a plan, a part of it, a part of this policy, and how you guys will achieve that in terms of delivering this that component? Yeah, no, I think good question. Um, we, you know, we have uh, set up um, a review process that we need to have for the principles, just to make sure that a they're delivering what we thought they were going to deliver, and b uh, to to report back to government on their implementation progress. Okay, so we'll be regularly reviewing um, the principles, um, you know, probably on an annual basis, just a high level review, not a, not a detailed, you know, rehashing, going back out to industry. You know, are the principles still the right ones that we need to have? Okay, um, and because we did a lot of consultation up front and we worked with uh, and we looked at what had been delivered across the world and across the nation, we've got a level of confidence that the principles that we've settled on are quite quite good and quite robust. However, if something emerges that, um, you know, we know uh, is a game changer, then we'll need to review the principles and policy um, and provide advice to government on the reasons for that. Yeah. Um, but I guess the, the other thing is that we need to continuously look at the ever-evolving digital environment that we're working within, okay? Um, so we need to regularly review what we're doing in the context of that evolution. Because if we don't, we're standing still and not learning. Yeah, and you know? how fast technology and, and skills and processes right. improve over time. But as well as that, what we need to do is work with agencies to look at the effectiveness of the implementation. Because if industry is telling us it's not effective in terms of its implementation, or if agencies are saying this is too cumbersome, then we need to review it. I don't think it is. I think it will be a good outcome. I think that it provides sufficient certainty to agencies and government departments and sufficient certainty to industry to invest. However, I could, that could all be misplaced. So I, you know, I will 
work as effectively as we can to make sure that there are regular reviews to ensure the currency of the principles in an ever-evolving digital environment. We can do that um, and industry can hold us to account. Yeah. You know, We will um, work effectively to get good outcomes for industry and uh, for the taxpayers. And you know, that's one of the key roles that, um, that I perform uh, is, is looking at how we can best use our, the, the dollars that get invested in infrastructure delivery. Yeah, it's very, very important. But uh, I guess, thanks very much for taking the time to uh, go through this in detail. Um, it's been an exciting journey. Um, you know, originally we sat down and I thought to myself that uh, we'd, we'd be able to uh, uh, motor through this policy, how short it is, but the amount of information we've gathered today has meant that this podcast is going to be far longer than I'd ever expected. But uh, um, one of the things I want to uh, do is obviously thank you for sitting down with us today and discussing the Queensland Government's Digital Enablement for Queensland Infrastructure Principles for BIM Implementation Policy. Now, um, you're the first cab off the rank in many ways, but as part of each interview that I'm going to do or perform as under this uh, Digital Transition podcast is uh, going to ask one specific question for everyone at the end of the, at the, at the end of that podcast. And uh, I guess, you know, apart from uh, the, the government's position, I guess, you know, as much as you can say, I guess, what does BIM mean to you? <laughs> no, look, a, a great question. Um, you know, at one level it means a bloody lot of work that I've got to do. Uh, but another thing that I'm really excited about is that it means that Queensland is leading the conversation across the nation on asset management. Queensland is leading uh, again uh, around the importance of um, getting the best utilisation from our assets. It will provide opportunities that I can't even dream of at the moment in the design sector. It will provide opportunities in the construction phase of a project. Then it will provide huge opportunities in the operation of the asset. So BIM will mean um, great opportunities for the future. There will be new emerging professions that will come out that we haven't even thought of. And I think one of the big prof professional opportunities here will be for a BIM auditor to actually you know, check what is being delivered against what was proposed, okay? There will be then other opportunities that bright, um, smart, um, intellectual kids who are at, at going through high school or yeah, who are just starting- school. Primary <laughs> school, that's right. Or, or just starting university, they will look at the digital model in a different way than you or I might. And they will get enormous benefits out of it that I can't even imagine. And they might make those benefits in five, 10 or 15 years, which I couldn't have ever foreseen. And that will be a great outcome for Queensland. And we will get much better opportunities to better manage our assets and have greater longevity of those. That'll be fantastic. That certainly will. But that's, that's a wonderful answer to hear from you, Andrew. So thanks once again. And uh, I hope that this discussion and, and from what you've shared today will help raise awareness of the policy and what it means for industry. Um, for me personally, I'm very excited to see the policy and the leadership from the Queensland Government in promoting BIM processes or digital processes as we're looking to do it, uh, name it now. Um, I believe it's gonna see great value in, in terms of the way this policy is framed and I look forward to seeing the benefits, not only for me, but you know, my young family as well <laughs> with uh, my young son right now uh, taking an interest in architecture as a six year old already. And for those that would like to read the policy, you'll find a link to this policy on our website. And uh, we'll be back in a fortnight's time. We'll uh, have another guest that we'll uh, talk to and we'll release some information on that further uh, in the near future. So thanks very much. If you would like assistance with your digital transition, please contact us at digital at fultontrotter.com.au. For more information, or if you'd like to continue the discussion in the comments section, head over to our website, thedigitaltransition.com. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on our future podcasts. We would also appreciate it if you provide us with a rating and take the time to provide us with a review. Thanks for listening to The Digital Transition, brought to you by Fulton Trotter Digital.
digital transition.